Let's open the Word of God, our inspired, preserved scriptures in the King James Version, to Malachi chapter 2. Malachi chapter 2. I trust that every one of you that is here understands and believes and has the spirit of Luke 4.4, where Jesus told the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Amen. We turn these pages to find every word of God. Malachi is the last prophet of the Old Testament, the last book of the 39 books of the Old Testament. We may entitle his book here, The Final Warning. Malachi, The Final Warning. Because the next time a prophet appears that the Bible records, it's John the Baptist, and he tells that nation, the axe is now laid to the root of the tree, and the fire is being fanned by Almighty God, and He is about to burn up the nation. And He did burn up the nation. The nation of Israel was wiped out, destroyed, and leveled to the ground in 70 A.D. by the armies of the Romans that came against them because they had crucified the Lord of glory. They were scattered abroad into all nations, and to this day, the majority of Jews do not live in Israel. They live in New York City and in other places around the world. Until very recently, the number of Jews in New York City outnumbered the ones in Israel. The final warning. What's the last word of this book? What's the last word of the Old Testament? Curse. Because that was coming upon these people for their wickedness. It is hard for us to imagine, reading Malachi, that this was a prophet just a few years after these Jews had come back from Babylon. How could they have been punished for 70 years in Babylon had their nation destroyed their city leveled, their temple burned to the ground, their women ravished by the Chaldean soldiers, and yet they would come back and quickly backslide into this kind of rebellion that we find here. Lord, help us and teach us. In the first chapter, we learn two lessons. There are ten lessons in these four chapters. The first lesson was the first five verses that God had showed His distinguishing grace We believe in distinguishing grace. We don't believe in universal grace. We believe in grace that distinguishes the people of God from the children of the devil. Because those are the two categories of mankind on the earth. And God points that out here to Israel in the first five verses by saying, I love Jacob, but I hated Esau. I love Jacob's family, but I hated Esau's family. I love the Israelites, But I hated the Edomites. The Edomites being the descendants of Esau. Because Esau's name is Edom. Meaning red. Verses 6 through 14 gave us the second lesson. And that is that we should lift up the worship of God and make it as reverent as we can. Because our God is a great king, saith the Lord of hosts. And he points out numerous ways in which Israel, especially the priests, had profaned his name by not giving him the kind of worship he deserved. When we look at verse 6, and it says a son honors his father, you make efforts to honor your father, or at least you should. But where's the honor of God? Servants honor their masters. You'll do almost anything for your boss. Whatever he says, yes sir, yes sir. But the Lord wants to know, where is His honor? Because He's told us things He wants us to do. And how well do we humble ourselves before God who is our Father and who is also our Master? He deserves our fear. And it goes on to describe the fact that in their actions, they were saying, the worship of God is contemptible. It's not important to be at church on Sunday. I mean, I just don't feel like it. It's not that important to me. These words we probably wouldn't say out loud, but the Lord says in this passage that by our actions, that's what we're saying. He says, try that on your governor. 
Try bringing something that is old, moldy, stale, late, poorly dressed. Do that to your governor. Will he accept your person? Not a chance. Especially in that time when authority was reverenced. And so we saw in chapter 1, those two lessons. We come to chapter 2. There's two, there's three lessons in this second chapter. The third lesson of the chapter is the last verse. We will not consider that today. We will consider the first two lessons in two services today. Down through verse 9, we have a lesson about faithless ministers. And in verses 10 through 16, we have a warning about marriage. So let's take up the first lesson of the chapter, which is the third lesson of the book. God's ministers should be faithful. I am assuming that you have already read this chapter, because you should have. And so I will read one verse at a time and give the sense of it, because that is preaching. Preaching is not telling stories. Preaching is not tugging at your emotional strings. Preaching is not jesting. Preaching is not entertaining. Preaching is, and I quote Nehemiah 8.8, So they read in the book, in the law of God, distinctly, and gave them the sense and caused them to understand the reading. That's preaching. Read God's word distinctly, give the sense or the meaning of the words, and cause the hearers to understand what God's word had to say to them. Here we go. Verse 1. And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. So we have here, in this chapter, beginning with this verse, a warning to priests. Some places in the Bible are written to God's ministers distinct from His people, and this is one of them. There are actually many of them. Have you ever read the book Leviticus? Leviticus was not written to those of Judah, primarily. Leviticus was not written to those of Manasseh. Leviticus was written to those of Levi. Because they were involved in the tabernacle ministry and worship of God publicly. So it's called Leviticus because it had the rules for the Levites and the priests in conducting God's worship. So that's a book primarily for ministers. Jeremiah 23, holding your hand always at Malachi 2, lest we get lost. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 23 and I'll remind you of a passage that is potently dedicated to God's pastors, and it is a condemnation of them. Here's how it starts. Jeremiah 23, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture! Exclamation point, saith the Lord. Therefore thus saith the Lord God of Israel against the pastors that feed my people, ye have scattered my flock, and driven them away, and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. We like verses 28 and 29 in this chapter. The prophet that hath a dream, you know, was there a man that was ordained in the black Baptist denomination that once stood in Washington, D.C. and said he had a dream? Well, here's what God has to say about that serial adulterer and who, who never repented And so his sins are publicly known and should be known. A serial philanderer, Martin Luther King, Jr. Verse 28, the prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. And he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord? And like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. See, there were prophets and there were priests that were telling dreams, but they were not preaching God's word, and God compared it the chaff to the wheat. That worthless external hull, that superficial coating of the real substance of the grain is the wheat kernel, and that's the preaching of God's word. And so there are chapters like Jeremiah 23 where the prophet Jeremiah directs his attention away from the people and toward the ministers that were leading them astray, as it is today in America. You know, there's Ezekiel 13, there's Ezekiel 14, there's Ezekiel 34, there's Ezekiel 37, there's Ezekiel 44, and if you're a minister, you happen to know these chapters because they're painful. 
And they're warning. And you better read them from time to time because they remind us of our duties. Now, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul did not write that many chapters. But 13 of them were written to ministers. They're called the pastoral epistles. 1 Timothy, 6 chapters. 2 Timothy, 4 chapters. Titus, 3 chapters in a row called the pastoral epistles. They are addressed to the man of God. I will address, as soon as we get back to Romans 16, a ridiculous religious movement that has reared its ugly head, though it be not very significant today, called the house church movement, where they don't believe in having leaders, they don't believe in having preachers, they don't believe in having pastors, they don't believe in anyone having any authority to declare what the Word of God means. They just all sit in a circle and share with each other. And they think that every man, every husband, every father should be the man of God of 2 Timothy 2.15, 1 Timothy 6.11, 2 Timothy 3.17. The word of the man of God occurs in the Bible 72 times. One time it is an angel, 71 times it is an ordained prophet or preacher of God. It is no one else ever. It's the man of God. It's the man whose life and whose ministry is representing God as God's ambassador. We'll get to that. But when we think about those pastoral epistles, I magnify my office. I, God help me if I ever magnify my person. I never wanted the office. I don't want the office. And tomorrow I won't want the office. I have tried to make that clear to you my entire life. However, I thank God that He forced me against my will, and I do this from a dispensation that He's given me, and not my own desire. And so I magnify the office when I say there are 13 chapters that don't really belong to you. They belong to me. And they're painful. But they're wonderful. Can you understand both expressions? I hope you do. And so, and now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. Oh, that's nailing it down. Because the priests had better listen to what God is about to say to them. You know, the Lord has given me a fruitful couple of days in this chapter. And I could spend the rest of the time allocated to me to take you on a little tour of First and Second Timothy and Titus and show you that it is to an ordained man of God, a bishop in a church, rather than individual saints. But I'm not going to do that. We don't have any time for any such thing. Every minister of God is duty-bound to read the passages of Scripture and hear God speaking to them directly about how they ought to discharge their office. You know, there were some men one time that were sons of Aaron. That's as high as you could get in the ministry if you weren't Aaron himself. And they offered strange fire before the Lord. They thought that they would modify the worship of God just a little bit. And God sent fire down from heaven and burned them up. And He wouldn't let Aaron or the brothers of those two wicked men even mourn them. Because they had altered the worship of God called strange fire. They were with, they were worshiping the right God. They were worshiping Him at the right place. And they were the right men, but they didn't do it the right way. And God burned them up. It's important. And now, oh, priests, this commandment is for you. There's a horrible situation of the, of, of famine for God's words in America. And it's due to wayward ministers. Let's go to verse two. If ye will not hear, And if ye will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. God promised that he was going to judge these priests, because they didn't glorify his name, and that the judgment had already commenced. He stated that the issue at stake was the profaning of his name. See, we studied that in the first chapter. That's why I very, very briefly reviewed the fact that over here in uh, verse 6, it says, O priests that despise my name. See, they're profaning the name of God by not giving him the reverence due his name. And they're not giving him the reverence due his word. And they're not giving him the reverence due his law. There are reasons that we do things the way we do in this church. Do we look old-fashioned? Do we dress differently? 
do we assemble differently? Do we pray differently? Do we treat God's word differently? Do we sing differently? Do we fellowship differently? It's all by design. God designed it, and I'm going to implement it. And I ask you to follow me as I follow God and His Word. Because the New Testament tells me, Wherefore, receiving a kingdom, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. That's New Testament, not old. That is why we do things the way we do them. Lord, help us this way. Ministers usually speak, teach, talk, and cause conviction in others. But I want you to notice right here, they had better get convicted themselves when God speaks to them. Two times in this verse is it mentioned, lay it to heart. Don't just hear it. Don't just have an encyclopedia or a handbook of God's rules for ministers, but be convicted about it in your heart. And so it is said twice in this second verse, you better hear me, you better lay it to your heart. But I've already started the judgment because you're past being convicted. I've already started it because you won't lay it to heart. Because I've been advising you and warning you by prophets for hundreds of years. And look at your wickedness, even after your Babylonian captivity. It was their personal and public duty to give glory to God's name. Contrary to the profane way in which they had taught religion in the nation. And what happens when that takes place? The nation backslides. The pew will follow the pulpit like a family will follow the father. Therefore... Ministers bear the burden, not only of their own sins, but of the effect those sins have upon others. 1 Timothy 4.16 Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them those two things, taking heed to a minister's personal life and taking heed to his doctrine that he teaches. Continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself. Thank you, Lord, that there's salvation for ministers. And them that hear thee. If a minister is lazy, if he's carnal, if he's worldly, he destroys his church, and their salvation is lost. Not their names in the book of life. The only person that would think I said that by using the word salvation is someone who doesn't understand the five phases of salvation. Someone who has their name in the book of life cannot lose their eternal life, but they can certainly lose their fellowship with God and the joy of living the victorious Christian life. And that happens in every church where the man of God does not take heed to himself and to the doctrine. And so we have the warning here of what happens and God's judgment upon the nation that there was a lack of knowledge in the land and the lack of knowledge was due to the preachers, the priests in this case, not preaching it. So today, especially in the first half of the day, we want to be very conscious of the fact that we need ministers and not just any minister, faithful men, holy men, Men who tremble before the Word of God. Men who take it up as a very precious thing. They delight in every single syllable and jot and tittle of the Word of God. And they live it. And they press it. And they implement it. And they require it. And they enforce it. Oh Lord, give us some such men. Light a fire in their souls that will burn in our generation and in every generation that you leave us here in this world. God promised to curse these priests, and he would curse their blessings on others as well. It's a horrible thing when a minister has lost his ability to help his congregation by God not even hearing his prayers. You know, they had a 
they had a blessing given to them in Numbers chapter 6 in which they could bless the people. And God just said, are you kidding? You're not going to bless my people. I've said this enough times, but I have to say it again right now. After what happened in 2001, 9-11, you know what happened back there and our government stood on the steps of the Capitol and saying, God bless America, I can promise you something. There was no blessing on America. And if you can't tell by what's happened in the last 13 years, do you know what? You're blind. And I'll take you, I'll drive you tomorrow to find you a German shepherd to lead you around. Because you're blind. That was no blessing. God has already determined that using his name like that would be a curse upon this nation because they don't fear him. Their whole lives are dedicated to almost everything contrary to his word. And so God says, I'm going to curse you personally, and then I'm going to curse your blessings so that when you bless someone in blessings I designed in order to bring blessings on God's people, it'll be a curse. That's a horrible state of affairs. It can't get much worse than that. You know, it'll get so bad that God won't even hear the prayers of his best. Like in Jeremiah 15 and verse 1, where it mentions Noah and Samuel. Jeremiah 15.1. I had an exchange with a young Samuel about Jeremiah 15.1 this morning already. But remember, Noah and Samuel, though they would pray for the nation, it was too late. Their blessings upon the nation would no longer work even though they were holy men. And these priests are not holy men. These priests are profane men and wicked men. Notice the repetition. Ministers must be convicted in their heart by God's words. O Lord, raise up some men that when they hear the word of God, it strikes them in the heart. It pricks them in the heart. It convicts them. It lights a fire there. It fills them with ambition and zeal. It fills them with confidence and power. Who will open their mouths and let it out like a wine bag ready to burst. They cannot contain themselves because they have to declare your will and your word. Help us, Father. Pastors today have created a Christianity that's based on fables, that promotes pleasures more than God and has only a form of godliness. Things we've looked at many times. Second Timothy chapters 3 and 4 tell a minister that this is going to come. And Timothy, withdraw yourselves from such men. Right. Don't have anything to do with the pastors of this world that promote pleasures, that promote a form of godliness, but that deny the authority of that gospel to change people's lives. Let's go to verse 3. Behold, take a look at this. I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts, and one shall take you away with it. I thank God that he has shown me such a wonderful Bible that doesn't mince words and doesn't care about political correctness, but when it's addressing the prettiest segment of society, those men, you know, in the Catholic Church that wear their pajamas wherever they go, these men who wear the fine suits and who conduct themselves in such a fine, debonair way, the Lord says, I consider your worship and your preaching to be, and think of any four-letter word that you want to, for excrement. In the Bible, it was dung. You've got a couple of English alternatives. Since you haven't used dung in the last month in a sentence or two. But God says, I'm going to take that because that's what it's like to me. And I'm going to smear it in your face. Right. You say, I can't believe that God would say that. Well, humble yourself right now and get over the fact that you don't know the God of the Bible. Right. Let's get over that fact. I'm just going to rub your face in it. I can remember the first dog... The last one, too. Thank you, Paul. That our father got us. 
And if that dog ever tried to do it in the house, guess what he got rubbed in it? His face. Look at the word of God. I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your solemn feasts, and one shall take you away with it. Do you know how meticulous a priest was in order to be clean before God? He had to be incredibly meticulous by the articles of clothing he wore, by the way that he washed, by what he had or had not touched. The previous day, that day, there were so many rules for him to be clean in the sight of God, and yet God takes one of the most unclean things of the whole Bible. He says that every man needs to have a a paddle on his weapon so that whenever he goes around and needs to relieve himself, the Bible says this, the Bible has a commandment for proper sanitation. That every man was supposed to have a paddle on his weapon. That's a shovel with a handle. Okay? That's a shovel with a handle so he can dig a hole. And that which comes out from behind him, do do I need to help you with that one? Can go in the hole and we can cover it. We live in a wonderful society. We hit a little silver button and it's gone forever. We're blessed. But that was an unclean thing. Because the Lord said, I do not want to walk through my nation that is my people, and smell or see that stuff. And you know, let's be honest about our wonderful relatives in the past. Our wonderful ancestors would collect this stuff overnight and in the morning would raise the window in the streets of London and pitch it into the streets. Just a few decades ago, it was called a chamber pot. Well, God had different rules because it was unclean. He says, I'm going to smear this unclean stuff all over your face. It's so unclean because you, you're the priest behind this worship. It's unclean because it stinks because of your hearts, because of your mouths, and because you profane me in worship by not giving me the reverence due unto my name. And once you're covered with that stuff, an appointed man is going to have to come and take you away because you are unclean and you need to be quarantined away from the rest of the nation. You're going to be cut off. That's the second half of the verse. The first half is, Behold, I will corrupt your seed. When a minister is unfaithful, God will not only judge that minister, but he will judge his children. Did we already read that this morning? Because you have forgotten my law, I will forget your children. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. And here we have it again. Behold, I will corrupt your seed. Eli's family was cut off entirely, and it was a large family. Eli was a very old man. He had a couple of sons that were already in the priesthood, meaning they were past the age of 30. But his whole family tree was cut off by Doeg the Edomite. Do you remember? It's a horrible story in the Bible. And another priest was given that job. His name was Zadok. It took the Lord a while to do it, but he cut them all off. He killed every descendant of Eli. This is a warning to ministers. And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. I will corrupt your seed. A casual consideration of the reputation of PKs should help here. See, I've known quite a few PKs in my life. Do you remember in 1 Samuel 2.30, a man of God came to Eli. Now, what's a man of God? Was that some farmer in Israel that read the Bible on weekends? Or was that a prophet? A prophet came to Eli and said, I had given you and your family the priesthood. And them that honor me, I will honor. But them that despise me, I will lightly esteem. Do you know what lightly esteem means in that context? Does it mean lightly esteem? Or is it the opposite of hyperbole, and is telling you, I will despise that man. Remember? It's a figure of speech called meiosis. The opposite of hyperbole. When something is understated to get your attention. When someone despises God, he doesn't just lightly esteem them. He rubs their faces in what he considers dung, and then they are carried and taken away with it. Let's go to verse 4. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. 
and ye shall know. What would cause them to know that God was against them and that God only viewed His faithful descendants of Levi and Aaron as His true Levites and priests? How would they know? By the judgment that was going to come upon them. It is a horrible thing when judgment is the revelation that you were wrong. Do you know when you want to find out that you are wrong? When you hear God's words. Notice what he said in verse 2. If he will not hear it, if he will not lay it to heart, then you're going to discover the judgment too late. You're going to realize, why is God ripping us priests apart? Why are our blessings turning into curses? It's too late. So when does priest and when does when do people need to pay attention to God? When he speaks to them. Otherwise, you're going to find out too late and you're going to find out by judgment. Though they were the priests of Jehovah, the Lord would make his disapproval very clear. If you don't get the message by his word, you're going to get it by his judgment. Beware. They would know, though too late for themselves, that he only approved faithful men. Now, when he uses Levi in this chapter... Levi was just one of the twelve sons, and Levi wasn't one of the better sons. You know, it was Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. He was the third son, and he, along with Simeon, had gone and killed the men of Shechem. It's, you know, it's a horrible story about Dinah, their sister, and so forth. But he's using Levi as synecdoche for all those that came from him. It's a metaphor, it's figurative language for Levi. And remember, only one son Later on down, a couple hundred years later, was actually the priest of God. That was Aaron. And then, who was one of the best priests of Aaron that was in Numbers 25 that we looked at a few weeks ago? It's Phinehas. So, when we hear see this word Levi, and God is speaking favorably of them, He is speaking of faithful Levites, faithful priests like Aaron. Aaron wasn't always faithful, but overall, Aaron was pretty faithful. Phinehas whom God considered to be very faithful and zealous, so that He gave him an everlasting priesthood, according to the Bible, in Numbers 25. And what did Phinehas do that was so memorable to God? Was it that he translated the Bible into the language of the Hittites? Was it that he prayed all day? No, he didn't believe that much in prayer. When there was something that needed to be done, When something needs to be done, it's not the time to pray. It's the time to pick up a javelin and go kill two fornicating, an Israelite and a Midianite woman that were in a tent. And so he went to that tent and made shish kebab of that fornicating couple that were thrashing under the sheets. That's what God looked at and said, I love Phinehas, I love his family, he's going to have an everlasting priesthood, and I make with him a covenant of peace. Oh, for a minister to hear the words, a covenant of peace from the Lord God Almighty. It's a wonderful, tremendous blessing. And so when we find the word Levi, like you do in this fourth verse, he's referring to all faithful priests. Not just the man Levi. Levi's been dead for 1,500, 1,200 years. Okay? You need to understand that so that you can appreciate it. And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, this commandment that I'm giving by Malachi, that you better hear me, and you better lay it to your heart, and you better change things because I've already commenced judging you. You'll know it when you see the judgment that my covenant might be with Levi. I am only going to keep my part of the covenant with those that fulfill the conditions. I am not going to keep my covenant to bless my ministers when they disregard my worship as you have done. Are you following me? What this verse means. I will only keep my terms of the covenant that you that you are my priesthood. I will be in your presence. You may come into my presence. I will bless your Urim and your Thummim that you might know the will of God. But not if you're going to despise my worship. My covenant is with the faithful priests that descended from Levi. Verse 5. My covenant was with him of life and peace. You say, does that only apply to Levi? Now it's using a singular pronoun, him. My covenant was with him of life and peace. No, because he gave life and peace to Phinehas, and it's specifically stated in Numbers 25. And Phinehas is way down the family tree of Levi through Aaron. So it's describing faithful priests. 
faithful Levites under Levi. My covenant was with him. My covenant was with every faithful man that's been a priest. This is how the passage has to be understood. It wasn't just with the man Levi, because what's, what about the priest that Malachi is addressing? If you make that Levi specifically, then you're not, you don't have anything being addressed to the priests that were standing in front of Malachi during his time. These are faithful priests. My covenant was with him, especially Phinehas, as an example, since recorded in Scripture, he had an everlasting priesthood. Now, when you have something that's everlasting, is that life? That's a covenant of life, because it's going to last indefinitely. And I made with him a covenant of peace. It's all recorded in Numbers chapter 25. My covenant was with him, him representing faithful Levites and priests of life and peace. And I gave them to him life and peace for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. These are the kind of ministers we want. Men that fear God and are afraid before the name of God. That are afraid before the name Lord Jehovah. That just don't go around saying, as the Lord liveth, as the Lord liveth. You know, which was an act of worship, but their hearts were not in it. And they did not, they swore, not even to their hurt, and they wouldn't keep it. When they swore to their hurt, they would change, as we heard from Psalm 15 earlier this morning. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave those two things, life and peace, to my faithful priests and Levites for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. And the singular is meant, is encompassed in the name Levi. Now, when you read through the Bible, and it says, like in Verse 12, out of the tabernacles of Jacob. When it says in verse 12 of this chapter, out of the tabernacles of Jacob, am I supposed to envision the tent that Jacob lived in? Or is this just a metaphorical representation of the whole nation of God's people? Right. Okay, that's the same thing right here. It's all through the Bible. You know, the whole nation represented under one of the heads of it and you know, the, the ten tribes represented under the name Ephraim, which was only, you know, one of the sons of Joseph and one of the tribes. For the fear wherewith he feared me was afraid before my name. We want to pray for God to raise up men that truly fear him and fear his name and love his name and love to promote the worship of his name. We want men that will not go along at all with all of the compromise and modification of God's Word that goes on in churches today. We don't want to be turned away from sound doctrine. We don't want to be turned away from reverent worship. We want to be turned toward it. We want men that love reverent worship. We don't want men that get in the pulpit and to make their people happier say, I know that Jonathan Crosby wanted us to dress up for worship, but I can't find anything in the Bible So I don't really care what you wear to church. I love you, brethren. The Lord loves us, and the Lord will receive us no matter how we dress. And so it goes. And so things break down and modifications are made, and we don't show the honor due His name. When the Bible tells us to worship Him acceptably with reverence and godly fear, and it's time to get dressed on Sunday morning, how do you take reverence and godly fear plus closet equals what do I look like when I get to church? How do you do that? I've helped you do that. You say, well, where is it found in the Bible? Well, it's found in Genesis chapter 35 and Exodus chapter 19. In both places, when men came before God, they were to wash their clothes and wear their Sunday best. And even our grandparents understood that Sunday best meant that you went to your closet because of reverence and godly fear. So it was reverence and godly fear plus the best in my closet equals what I wear on the Lord's Day. They all understood that. And so we don't want to change. We want to lift up the worship of God and it is broken down by how we dress, how we act, the prayers that we have before our first assembly, the sitting here quietly to get our minds directed toward the Lord, I'll tell you that if you were to meet the governor, you would sit quietly waiting for him to appear. You would not be chewing some big wad of gum and stamping your feet around and just bebopping waiting for the governor or for the president. You'd be sober. So we do the things that we do because we're trying to show that we fear Him and we're afraid before His name. 
And it's a reflection on me if I don't help us do that as a church. Verse 6, the law of truth was in his mouth. Amen. Amen. And iniquity was not found in his lips. Amen. He walked with me in peace and equity. Yes. And did turn many away from iniquity. Thank you, Lord. This is the character of Levi. This is the character of Aaron. This is the character of Phinehas. This is the character of Zadok. This is the character of faithful priests. It's being described for us right now. We have had described for us the character of wicked priests. Now it's time for faithful priests. The law of truth was in his mouth. When he opened his mouth, he said what was true. Not just from personal honesty, but from the word of God. This is what the Lord says. This is what the Bible teaches. The law of truth was in his mouth. And it wasn't just, I think this might be the truth. The law of truth. Thus saith the Lord. This is what God wants. This is what God thinks. This is what God says. That's how ministers should speak. The law of truth was in his mouth. And iniquity was not found in his lips. There was no compromise of doctrine. There was no respect of persons. There was no modifying the truth. There was no fear of men's faces. There was no fear of losing his job. And he'd have to go out and get a real job. As little people in the pews like to say to the man in the pulpit, there was no fear. There was no iniquity in his lips. He spoke the truth. He did not compromise Most ministers will compromise their message to increase the multitude. And every minister faces those situations often of where he's got to make a decision. Am I just going to preach this the way it says it and the way that it's spoken to me? Or am I going to put a little bit of a spin on it? Now, he may not say those words. It's just all done up here in a trembling heart and in a weak mind and in a fearful pocketbook. I don't want to lose, you know, my biggest contributor, my biggest contributor has a problem, and if I let it all hang out, I could lose my biggest control. And so he gets in the pulpit, and he looks out there, and he sees the face. And he modifies the Word of God, but there's no iniquity found in these men's mouths. And these are the kind of men we want to pray for. I want to make this as practical for you as I can, while at the same time it's uh, it's very pointed to me. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity. He was a peacemaker. He wasn't creating fights. He wasn't causing divisions. He loved to make peace and equity. He was fair. Have you ever heard your pastor say that he hopes there's a four-letter word that you remember about him sometime when you're laying him to rest under a dandelion patch, that he was fair. I hope that I apply the word of God fairly. I don't care about anyone in here when it comes to applying God's word. God's word is right and you're wrong. No matter if you might think you're my best friend or the most distant from me in the congregation, it's what saith the Lord. But these men were... The men that Malachi was condemning were not like that. These faithful descendants of Levi were like that. He walked with me in peace and equity. A peacemaker always doing what was fair and right and did turn many away from iniquity. He was about the work of soul winning to change people to do what is right. To push people, to nudge them, encourage them, warn them, call them, beg them, comfort them any way to move them toward doing what is right and away from doing what is wrong. That's the description of a faithful minister. Verse 7, For the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. The reason you want the law of truth in a minister's mouth, and the reason you don't want any iniquity in his lips, and you want him walking in peace and equity and turning many away from iniquity, is because God has that man there for a purpose. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge. Do you remember from Hosea chapter 4, verse 6? You have rejected knowledge, therefore I've rejected you from being a priest, and because you have forgotten my law, I have forgotten your children. See, that knowledge is supposed to be in his mouth. God gave Levi 120% of the average salary of Israel. 
Can you all figure that out quickly? Yep. Twelve tribes. One pulled out. Joseph's given a double portion. So we're back to twelve. And the twelve were to give 10% of everything they made to the one tribe. 10% of twelve compared to one. Are you with me? Yeah. I know it's high math. Okay, what did I make that point for? Because do you know what they were supposed to be doing when they wouldn't have to worry about anything financial? Right here. They were to be ready scribes in the law of God like Ezra was. They were to be digging into God's word and taking it apart word by word. Looking at the jots and tittles. Taking it apart by syllable. Looking at the singulars and the plurals. Looking at everything in God's word is what they were supposed to be doing. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge. That's where knowledge is supposed to be kept in the pulpits. Yes, at times we're reduced to having to question ministers or having to read the Word of God to confirm what they're teaching us. But God's ordinary plan is for truth to be conveyed from fathers to children. Isaiah 38, verse 19. Joel 1, verses 1 through 3. Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Fathers are to hold God's truth and convey it from one generation to the next. Ephesians 6.4 Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Right. So where's the Lord's admonition and nurture kept? In a father and a family. If a woman will learn anything, let her ask her husband at home. So it's back to that same man. That man, husband, father, is a man of God with little little M and, if you, if you know what I mean, toward his wife and toward his children. And I defend that, teach that, promote that, and exalt that in our church. However, there's another man of God. And he's supposed to hold doctrine fast. And he is holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. Titus chapter 1 and verse 9. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And then immediately, I charge thee, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. For the priest's lips should keep knowledge. And this priest is not a Catholic priest. This priest is the Old Testament priest. And the forerunner of pastors and teachers in the New Testament. And they should seek the law at his mouth. If you wanted to know God's will, you would go ask a priest. And great kings like Jehoshaphat would station priests throughout the whole nation so you wouldn't have to go very far. We're trying to do that with our website. God's given us a great deal of truth, and we want to make it as available as possible for those that go looking for it. They should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That's why the 72 occurrences in the Bible, 71 of them are an ordained minister, prophet of the old, or pastor teacher of the new. And one referred to an two occurrences referred to angels when they appeared to Manoah and his wife, the parents of Samson. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Is there anyone? And don't raise your hand. Are there any men? Are there any boys that read a verse? Or hear a verse like this, Malachi 2.7, and it moves you. The priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. There's no greater professional ambition than to be a messenger of the Lord of hosts. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, if a man desire the office of a bishop, if a man desires the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 28 through 31, list all the gifts from apostle down, with teacher being third, apostle, prophets, teachers. And it says, covet earnestly the best gifts. What do all the charismatics around us do? They covet earnestly the least gift. Speaking in tongues, which is last in that list. I love the Word of God. It says covet earnestly 
the best gifts. Teaching is far above speaking in tongues, though no charismatic will ever admit that. Because they've exalted a gift that they can fake out of all place given to it even in the New Testament. Is there anyone here? I don't need to see your hands. God needs to see your willingness and your ambition. And then we will find out if you have the qualifications. Ideally, every man would covet to be a minister. Then they need to be sorted through. I just gave you the two verses. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Covet earnestly the best gifts. But notice what 1 Timothy 3.1 goes on to say. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be. And who's that written to? Timothy. A bishop then must be. Timothy, if you meet a man that desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. You know it's a good work. I know it's a good work. It's, it's being a messenger of the Lord of hosts. But then he's got to have this, 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 and it goes right down through those next six verses. Let's go to verse 8. But ye are departed out of the way. Notice, he judged them in the first few verses of this chapter. Then he described the faithful priests and Levites in verses 5 through 7. But now he comes back to this unsightly group of priests that were before him in the nation of Israel. But, but, the priests should keep knowledge. But, the law of truth was in his mouth. But, see, it's, there's, it's a disjunctive. It's making an adversarial relationship between verse 8 and verses 5 through 7. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Instead of converting men and moving them away from iniquity, you've caused them to stumble at the law. They're breaking the law. They're tripping over it. They don't see it. They're falling over it. They're sinning against me because you're not pointing out that I said that was wrong. You're causing Notice what a minister can affect many. But ye are departed out of the way, ye have caused many to stumble at the law. It's not just him. It's not just his wife. It's not just his children. It's not just his grandchildren. It's many that are under the influence of his ministry. You've caused many to stumble at the law. You've departed out of the way. You're not keeping the law yourself. Remember the two things that a minister should do? Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. This, these ministers are disobeying both. Ye have departed out of the way. You priests are no longer keeping God's commandments. And you've caused many to stumble at the law by not teaching the doctrine that should be taught. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. See, the covenant of Levi was, if you're faithful, I'll bless. I'll bless you with a covenant of life and peace. I'll preserve your family from Aaron to the end of the world. But if you disobey, I'll curse your children. I'll take you away as you as if you had dung over your face. You'll be so unclean in my sight. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore, as a conclusion and as a result of all that's been said in verses 1 through 8, therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people. Not the people that loved false teachers but all the faithful people, all the needy people, all the hungering people, all the starving sheep. I've made you base and contemptible before all the people. And you know what? Actually, the wicked and those that love false teachers eventually get fed up and sick with them because there is nothing of substance in their ministries. Let me give you an example. Two men, two ministers, and they were the ministers of Pharaoh. Their names are Janus and Jambres. Their names are given in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Janus and Jambres duplicated Moses' miracles for the first three. And then in number four, they turned to Pharaoh and said, this is the finger of God. Right. Well, guys, that's what I hired you for. <laughs> Sorry, boss. See, they were exposed. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, all false ministers will eventually be exposed just like Janus and Jambres were exposed. All you have to do is turn on the television and take a few minutes to watch America's pastor. It used to be Rick Warren. Do we all know who America's pastor is today? Joel Osteen. Any red-blooded American male. And every woman that's got appropriate balance of estrogen and testosterone herself 
Women have testosterone, one-tenth of what a man has. All they have to do is turn on Joel Osteen and they know that that is a false prophet. Right. You say, well, why does he have such a large following? Because God has judged the nation. Right. That's why. Just a few years ago when I was growing up, nobody like Joel Osteen could have got a crowd. He would have been despised. Even by Armenians who hardly knew their Bibles. They knew that that wasn't Bible preaching. To have that guy get up and give that effeminate grin of his and then to open with a joke. Joel Osteen begins every single sermon with a joke. He memorizes every single word of that sermon. You never get to meet with the pastor of that church ever, not even get close to him. He memorizes every single word and every single pause Monday through Saturday so that he can give that little performance that you see for 20 minutes in which he entertains with stories and stories and stories and opens with a joke. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people, according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. You haven't been keeping them yourself, and you've been partial in the word of God. You're only preaching what is palatable. You're only preaching what is acceptable. You haven't been preaching the whole counsel of God. I'm thankful that the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 could call together all the elders at the church of Ephesus and say, I, didn't sh I, I did not shun to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. I kept back nothing that was profitable for you. Those are the kind of ministers we want. You know, the 17th verse, the last verse of this chapter, which is lesson number five of the book of Malachi, will basically summarize being partial in the word of God. Ye have wearied the Lord with your words, yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? When ye say, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord. How many of you watch Joel Osteen get confronted on television about whether there are sodomites in his church or not? Whether or not he has sodomites among his friends and whether or not sodomites unrepentant can go to heaven. When ye say everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delighteth in them or where is the God of judgment? God loves everybody. That sick message that is not taught in the Bible because the Bible says God hates all workers of iniquity. Psalm 5.5 and him that loveth violence, my soul hateth. Psalm 11 and verse 5. Jesus in John chapter 3 and verse 16 was simply explained to Nicodemus that the love of God extended beyond the borders of Israel to include some Gentiles in a word that he used as world. World meaning the collected group that is under consideration. It certainly didn't mean all the inhabitants of the world or it would have contradicted the rest of the Bible because... Those that God loves cannot be separated from the love of God, and most men will be separated from God, therefore he could not have loved them. God does not chasten all men, and the Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He only chastens his children, and the rest of mankind he calls bastards. But see that, look at there, verse 17, that's being partial in the word of God, and that'll be lesson number five. But lesson number three was, there's a great dearth and lack of faithful ministers. This is a description of how God looks at ministers. Now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. This is how he views them. This is what he thinks of their solemn assemblies. He considers it dung. He's going to smear their faces in it. He's going to cut off their children. He's going to curse them. He's going to curse their blessings. He'll never hear their prayers. They can say, God bless America at the end of every sermon, and it doesn't matter one bit to God. God describes who his faithful ministers are in verses 5 through 7. But those in Malachi's generation had departed out of that way. They had caused many to stumble, and they had broken the terms of the covenant that God made with Levi, Aaron, Phinehas, and all other faithful priests. May God bless the preaching of his word. Is there any patriarch that would like to come and join me up here for a sentence or two of prayer that God will raise us up some faithful ministers? Is there a, a pillar? Is there a prince? Is there a youth? Brethren, will you join with us and pray that God will raise up ministers that meet the qualifications of Malachi 2, 1 through 9. Our Father and our God, you have heard your word preached. We have heard it. And our hearts are responding, saying, do a great work in our church yes. Amen. and in our families. Yes, Lord.
Father. You can change hearts. You can challenge hearts. You can give vision. You can plant desire. Yes. And we pray that you will do all of this, even today, even now. We pray that you will raise up out of our midst those who will be faithful to your word, who will love it, who will study it, who will give themselves to thee to serve wherever you choose and wherever you appoint. We thank you for what you have done in the past. We thank you for the servant of God that you've put here in our midst. And we pray that you will add to him. And if your word applies to his family, then, Lord, be pleased to multiply your servants in that way. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 O Lord, we beseech you. Thou hast ordained churches, and that we, thy sheep should be in those churches. Yes, Lord. But those churches need to have a man of God over them. And we hear every day from people around this country and around this world who have no church because it has no pastor. And we beseech thee, O Lord, to raise up faithful men of God, Lord, to fill this dearth in the land. We pray, O Lord, we know that this country is sinking deeper and deeper into abomination. And we know, Lord, it's because there are no men of God, Lord, to call sin, sin anymore. Yes. And to teach the people. And we pray, Lord, for the sake of our children and our children's children, Lord, that thou will raise up faithful men Please, Lord. to curb the abomination of this land through thy people and through thy, their preaching, O Lord. Mm-hmm. We beseech thee, O Lord, in the most earnest terms that we yes. can, Lord, that you will supply these need of pastors for thy people. In yes, Jesus' Lord. name we pray. Amen. 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 Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for the men that you have called to teach us the word of God today and in years gone by. We bless and praise your name for the privilege of hearing thy word that you have provided yes, to us. And, O oh, Lord, yes, we pray that you would abundantly increase the number of men preaching thy word this day and further in further years across this land. Yes, Lord. Oh Lord, we need this blessing from thy hand. Yep. This is not something that you can't provide. You are able to do this. Yes, Lord. And we beg you and beseech you today that you would hear our prayer and raise up many men, young men and old men alike, to preach thy word. Oh Lord, raise them up, make them God fearing men. Men who fear before thee, who tremble at thy yes, word, Lord. who have, who are great in faith, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who love the word of God, who study it carefully and love the people of God and yes. the church of our Lord Jesus yes. Christ. We pray that you would raise up those kind of men, Lord, many of them. You are able to do this. Yes, Bring them forth to teach and to preach thy word even today across this land. And our Father, we pray for those men that are in such a position but have turned away from thy law. We pray that you would turn them back unto thee and cause them to again seek to the God of their fathers and seek to the God of the Bible and reject the fear of men and fear only thee. O Lord, there are thy men out there. We pray that you would turn their hearts back toward thee. Our Father, Father, hear us in this prayer. We beg thee to hear us and to help us. Mm -hmm. We know that you can do this. You are the Lord of harvest. And we pray that you would send forth into thy harvest fields many such men to preach thy word. The fields are white unto harvest. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would raise up men to do this great work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Gracious Heavenly Father. We thank you for the men that you have put out there, and we pray that you would be with them and strengthen them and quicken them with thy Holy Spirit, Lord. 
We pray for the men that are out there that are unfaithful. Lord, that you would separate the wheat from the chaff, that yes. they would no longer lead astray any other your, your true, true sheep, O Lord. Lord. We pray for those that have not yet come up, Lord, that you would be with them and guide them through life, direct yes. them, steer them, profit them, bless them, forgive them, Lord, where they sin and fall short. Yes. Lord, thy word is a fire and it is a hammer. And we pray for men that will harness that. Yes. Lord, we pray for men that desire that. They, they have a heart for your people, for your sheep that hunger and thirst, Lord, and that they would feed them. Yes. Lord, we pray for those people that are out there by themselves that have no shepherd. Please, Father. And for this reason, we pray for shepherds, O oh Lord. Thou art the great shepherd. You have yes. been so good to us, Lord, in giving us our shepherd. Lord, we pray for men just like him. If there be none in here, Lord, outside, Gather them, collect yes, them, put them out. We want to contend with the wicked, O oh Lord, in this evil, wicked time. Yes. Lord, we want to glorify your name. We want those men to glorify thy name, O oh Lord, as our brother prayed earlier, as you have exalted your word above your name, Lord, that he would do the same. Yes. Lord, receive the glory in this wicked time. Be glorified, Lord, in preachers that you raise up. Cause them to be faithful. Yes, Lord. Help us, Lord, hear our cry, hear our plea. It is for your glory and honor we yes. pray these things in Jesus' Praise name. Lord. Amen. Amen. Our great Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you today beseeching you that you would provide your flock with shepherds. Yes, Lord. Lord, you tell us that we should live by every word of God, yes, but not by bread alone. Father, we ask that you would provide men to help feed your sheep yes, throughout the globe. Yes. yes. Father, we are thankful for our ox that we have. Amen. Father, provide more men like him, Lord, yes. that will strive to faithfully preach your word without fear of men, boldly. Yes. Father, provide, we ask you today. Yes. Please be with us the rest of this day, Lord. We thank you for the blessings you've given us. And again, we ask for more of your Holy Spirit. It's in your Son's name, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated. <clears throat>